the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to the Conference USA Underdog Podcast, everybody. Week one in the books. Plenty to talk about. Plenty to plenty to be pissed off about if you're a Conference USA fan. Plenty to be happy about, of course. But uh, hope you had a good Labor Day weekend as well. No, I did. I'm still feeling the physical effects of it. Hopefully, I'm over that soon. Uh, Eric Henry, good to be back with you, man. How was your Labor Day? Labor Day was actually really low-key, man. Just got back from being off of the road. Went down to New Orleans to watch the FIU Tulane game and just, you know, ran to a little bit of travel issue, but that seems to be the story of my uh, my travel experience here. So Labor Day was very chill. Uh, had a quick uh, little barbecue with some friends and then went back to the house and just knocked out. So nice and quiet. Good, good, man. Uh, real quick, that, uh, I'm assuming that's not your first trip to New Orleans for the uh, FIU game there. Joe, it actually was my first trip to New Orleans. Okay, what would you think of it? You know what? Um, it's it's a fun place. It, mm-hmm. Definitely, we were given a fair amount of warning uh, from locals, even from uh, uh, Tulane safeties coach J.J. McCleskey even warned us, uh, you know, hey, make sure watch where you're going down Bourbon Street. Um, but it's a fun place, uh, and it's definitely uh, it's definitely the food amazing, and it's definitely rebuilding. Uh, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of locals who said who've been there since the hurricane, and they said that you know um, they kind of warming to that the place isn't what it was uh, pre Katrina, but we're happy with the way it's coming back. So they it's they almost kind of like wish I'd seen it pre Katrina because they were telling me all these great things that happened before, but still uh, plenty of fun to get into. So really enjoyed New Orleans. Nice. And I mean, that's good to hear both in terms of uh, the city, you know, rebuilding from from all that. And also just that it's uh, it's it's such a fun town for college football fans. So that's obviously great to hear. Um, One town where college football fans probably didn't have as good of a time this weekend. Bowling Green, Kentucky, where uh, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers lost to Central Arkansas 35-28. WKU actually gave up 21 unanswered points in the fourth quarter to drop this game. As good as the run defense looked, uh, gave up less than 50 yards on the ground. The pass game, the pass defense rather, was just absolutely atrocious. And, you know, I was adamant in the build up to this game that I didn't think history was going to repeat itself um, with WKU losing to Maine last year. And I really didn't think they were going to drop another game to an FCS opponent. But yet here we are. You know what I mean? I can't believe that. So, um, Tyson Houghton clearly has his work cut out for him and building this team into, you know, what it was when he was a coordinator there. And that game really showed it. So obviously frustrating for uh, the big red faithful. Joe, it's not even the fact that they lost to another FCS team. In my opinion, it's the fashion that they did in giving up 21 unanswered points, which is essentially deja vu from what happened against Maine, where they blew a, three-score lead, but they blew a 21-point lead. They, they raced out to a, a huge lead last against Maine and couldn't hold it. So to do, you know, to repeat that in the same fashion is, is equally as frustrating. You touched on the pass defense. Central Arkansas quarterback Braylon Smith, those 20-28, 324, three touchdowns. Uh, that's just, that's really unacceptable, you know, as, as an FBS team playing a lower opponent. Uh, I guess the positives that you can take from Western, you know, Stephen Duncan, Looks fairly well outside of the two turnovers, uh, through the 304 yards. Uh, Gage Walker, buck 52 on the ground, so that was great. But, yeah, it's just deja vu all over again. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I 
<laughs> I toyed with taking Central Arkansas last week when we taped the podcast just because I'm still trying to figure out where this Western Kentucky program is. But, uh, yeah, they, they've got some work to do. Yeah, it's, uh, like I said, certainly frustrating. And you make good points about, you know, Gage Walker being the the bright spot. Not, I think, not entirely who I think a lot of people expected to step up uh, in that running back spot right away. But, uh, you know, certainly something good to build off of there. Um, not recording in my usual spot today, so I apologize if there's a little extra background noise on the playback. But, um, yeah, it's a, if nothing else, I guess it's a, a metaphor for what Western Kentucky needs to do to bounce back from a loss like this, just block out the noise and try to find something, uh, something positive to go off of. But uh, another program that's got plenty of positives to build off of Charlotte with a 49 28 win over Gardner Webb, Ben Reynolds and Ben LeMay looked fantastic on the ground in this one for rushing touchdowns between the two of them, three interceptions for the 49ers in this one, uh, as far as, offensively so something for them to keep an eye on in the future and kind of do some damage control on that side of it but overall a, a really good start to the uh to the will healy era for the 49ers yeah joe i know you're on the road not in your usual location so i don't know how much you've had a chance to see on twitter or on social media or even my uh conference usa three things uh that we learned this week did you happen to see um will healy on twitter post game uh, no, what, uh, what he have to say? <laughs> so, uh, if you remember, you know, when I went to see USA media days, their big thing is they're trying to make Charlotte cool. So two things that they posted on Twitter post game after the win was, uh, they have a DJ inside the locker room after wins and mm-hmm. they have like a, a light up, like glow sign that says like Charlotte. And of course lit is L I T. Uh, <laughs> and then the final thing that, that Will Healy did is he got up just like, you know, Madman style, got up like on the top of the mosh pit for there, you know, he's giving his post-game speech and mm-hmm. takes off his shirt and he's whipping it around. Like, uh, this is going to be a dated reference, uh, but it is Carolina, so forgive the, the cheap uh, pun here. Uh, the old Petey Pablo song, you know, like, take your shirt off, whip around like a helicopter. That was uh, Will Healy. He took, he took his shirt off and was just like whipping his players into a frenzy. I only mention that is to say, He's just going like the opposite direction of Brad Lambert, which I think, you know, is a good thing in terms of infusing energy into the Charlotte program. Uh, you touched on it. The, the two quarterbacks did throw three interceptions combined, but it does look like Chris Reynolds really deserves the chance to kind of be the guy there. I know he might not have been Will Healy's first choice as Brett Keen, Brett Keen was someone he brought in in the offseason. But Healy, um, excuse me, Chris Reynolds, you know, adds 72 yards on the ground to two touchdowns. Benny LeMay, I shot finger combined for about a buck uh, 90 on the ground. Alex Heisman's two sacks. So, you know, they look good against Gardner-Webb. It would be intriguing to see what they can do against Appalachian State. Healy said in his comments today that this will be the true test to see where they've come as far as a program. But I just love everything he's doing as far as infusing energy around the program. Yeah, plenty of reason to think that with um, all the additions to the locker room, for example. Um, and then just uh, the way they performed on the field. Um, there's just a, an energy in this program that hasn't been there in the last couple of years. And that's, that's good to see, um, you know, as a fan and someone who wants to see all the teams in this conference uh, find success. Um, so great start for if you're a Charlotte 49er fan, we started off the show talking about new Orleans, Eric, and uh, the game you traveled to uh, travel to that town to see. Um, let's get into that game a little bit. FIU disappointing performance with a 14 42 loss to the two lane green wave. Uh, overall, really tough day on both sides of the ball for them. What happened out there that you could see? 
the major thing, Joe, I don't think any of us could have anticipated just how poor the run defense would look, seeing as how it was the major Achilles heel from last year. All they talked about in the offseason was fundamental and techniques and how they're going to work on this and how they're going to you know, tighten things up, players and coaches alike. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to give up a 100-yard rusher. It's one thing to give up 200 yards on the ground. When FIU gives up yards on the ground, they give them up in these abnormal, insane you know, quantities, and they give them 350 to Tulane. And that's just unacceptable. You know, if for a team that has A, it's not like they're lacking the talent on the defensive line. So that's the first thing. Another thing that surprised me was just how the offensive line really looked overmatched. And, and Tulane has, you know, uh, a couple of, uh, of experienced pass rushers in Patrick Johnson and Cameron Sample. But it just looked like they just couldn't keep James Morgan uh, upright. Even though he's only sacked once, he was under duress all night. And if you know James Morgan's a quarterback, what he needs is time to throw. You know, he, he's someone who – it's not that he's not a, a decent athlete back there, but he needs to be able to set his feet. The first interception that he threw was on him, completely on him, threw off his back foot, uh, tried to throw in a double cover shit, Austin Maloney, that wasn't there. But overall, I mean, I guess my major takeaway for FIU is this. I'm going to give you one positive uh, outside of the, you know, all those negatives there is this. It was a 21-14 game – or excuse me, it was a 21-7 game heading into, into uh, late into the second quarter. They get a fumble. Uh, Jamal Gates strips uh, uh, two lanes running back Cameron, which running back it was. Sage Lewis recovers it. If they if they're able to score, let's say they at least get three on that drive. It's 21-10 heading into halftime, and they get the ball back. Instead, on the on the very next play, James Morgan had a really bizarre fumble with the ball. I don't know if it was slick. We didn't get a chance to talk to players post game. Uh, that players weren't made uh, accessible. Uh, Butch Davis. Uh, came out very late into the evening to give us a, a statement. So I wasn't able to ask James what happened on the ball, but he fumbles it. Tulane gets, recovers it back in their own territory. They make it 28-7. You know, that kind of point swing, you just can't have happen on the road. So that combined with the with the run defense, uh, which is porous, and it led to what you saw out there. What was the general sentiment of, of Butch's statement when he eventually did come out? Uh, Butch is a straight up guy. I mean, he came out and just like, Hey, you know, we didn't get the job done. He, at first the thing he said was he played poorly in all three phases of the game. And that starts with me and the coaching staff. I, I, I just wonder, um, he, he clearly, you know, without, without getting into too much detail about certain things, he clearly was frustrated. I mean, you know, Butch, he's never taken 48 minutes to come out of the locker room post game. So that can kind of, you know, is an indication of, of how frustrated he was. Uh, overall, yeah, uh, day that team will uh, hope to forget soon, and uh, plenty more chances to to get in the win column this year. But uh, obviously, would have been a great start to the year for the Panthers if they'd pulled that one out. Uh, UAB starting the year in the win column with a twenty four to nineteen win over uh, Alabama State out of the FCS. Uh, this was kind of a weird game in that neither team could really get any sort of traction in the second half leading to Bama State being uh, being in it until their last drive, which resulted in an interception by UAB's Will Bowler. So for the Blazers' side of things, it was a really nice way for them to respond under pressure and get the win, but it's also a situation that I feel like they shouldn't have been in in the first place. You know what I mean? Completely agree. The first thing that jumps out to me, and, you know, in an effort of full disclosure, I try to watch as many of these games as possible on the back end. Did not get a chance to see much of this one. So I'm just looking at the box score. Spencer Brown, 23 carries for 77 yards. It's not necessarily that 
you know, first off, his yard per average, his yard per carry dropped from his freshman to sophomore year last year. And that's not necessarily, uh, you know, an, an all uh, a telltale sign of rushing efficiency. However, you expect that an FBS team to be able to impose their will on a, you know, in theory, which should be a smaller and less talented uh, defensive line in Alabama State. And they weren't able to do that, so that was worrisome. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, all things considered, I mean, Joe, you know, I'll pass it back to you on this one. It's not like we expect UAB, while they win games, it's not like we expect them to necessarily score 40 or 50 points. So this is kind of a, a UAB-like ball game. I guess you just would expect them to win by a wider margin against what should be a lesser opponent. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point in that if you – I don't know. A win's a win, especially in college football and determining bill eligibility and all that, but also it's it's got to be – frustrating for uh you know for that program to know they're capable of so much more and uh still get this kind of result so that's kind of my outlook on on these kind of games sure you know once again it's just for me i i just would like to see them somehow be able to impose their will against what should be a less talented team especially with the strength of their team being the run game uh garrett moreno had a nice ball game with nine tackles so at least defensively you know that was nice to see given the amount of loss they had on defense but like you said all in all a win is a win and it's better than the alternative so Absolutely. I know uh, I know Rice would have taken that kind of results uh, with uh, them losing to Army 14 to 7 this past weekend. Another really strange game in a really similar fashion in that there was so little offense, less than 600 cumul- less than 600 cumulative yards which just feels very very low for a Division 1 FBS college football game. Uh Nishan Ellerby had Rice's only score of the day on a 54-yard run. Um Honestly, I mean, I guess I got to give it up to Rice's defense in that I expected this to be a much more dominant Army win. Um, But also just uh, so many of the mistakes and just aside from that, that 54 yard run, the overall just kind of lack of offensive production from Rice, you know, kind of what we expected, but something to build off of that defense held a very good army rushing attack to, I believe less than 50 total rushing yards. For me, Joe, that's the biggest takeaway is that Rice's defense was able to, you know, that's going to be the strength of this ball club right now, because they're figuring out the quarterback situation. They're figuring out the weapons they have on offense. Aaron Cephas won't be back for the foreseeable future. And I kind of wondered, I didn't wonder aloud on Twitter, but I wondered in my head if Aaron Cephas is there, maybe they're able to win this ball game, you know, because you have kind of that deep threat who can take the top off of the defense. But yeah, I, I just love the way that Rice's defense held up and performed guys like Antonio Montero, uh, George Nyakwal, Blaze Aldridge. And I think the other takeaway that I found interesting is that, you know, and I talked about this in, in my three things column. Rice clearly is going to play the opposite of the way that a lot of Conference USA teams are playing in terms of they're not going towards the spread. They're, you know, going to run the football. They tried to play Army's game, and they almost beat him. So if, if one thing you know about Mike Lindgren's club is that they're going to play hard for him, and that is a really, really good start to building something there at Rice. Absolutely. Step in the right direction for that program, uh, if I've ever seen one. Um Keeping it moving, not much to say here except about uh, about this next game in Ohio State FAU. Buckeyes take that one 45 to 21. Um, it was interesting in that I believe all of FAU's points came in the last few minutes of the game, likely due to facing Ohio State's backups. But you got to wonder 
had they been able to kind of get some of that production earlier in the game, this might've been a little bit closer because they, they really turned it on that in the, in the last like three, four minutes of the game there. Before I kind of give my summarization of this game, I just want to ask Joe, do you put into, do you put any stock into the fact that they outscored Ohio state 21 to 17 in the last three quarters of the game? I only ask that because our friend Jake Ellen from the Palm beach post Essentially, it's picking FAU to beat UCF based on that fact. Uh, he really liked the way they played in the second half, but he just made the point that a lot of that was against backups. I'm, I'm just curious what stock you put into the fact that uh, outside of the first quarter, FAU uh, outscored them 21-17. to I'm not going to put no stock in it, but I'm not going to put a lot of stock in it. Obviously, Ohio State's an extremely deep team, and just kind of watching them for so many years, they've almost made it a point. Uh, in week one every year to play as many of these guys as possible, uh, especially when it's seemingly out of reach, which obviously they kind of thought they did after the first quarter and a half or so. Um, And not that the guys that played after that are bad by any means. Obviously, a lot of those guys could probably start at, you know, G5 programs and FCS programs and all that. So the fact that FAU was able to produce what they did against that level of player is still impressive, but at the same time, you know, you can't get, you can't buy too much stock in it when you aren't playing, you know, a starters and B, you know, guys who probably aren't, you know, giving a hundred percent. At least that's the way I see it. Okay. Like I said, just really want your feedback on that because that's what Jake is using to, you know, propel himself into an FAU upset next week, um, or this week, I should say. My just takeaway is Chris Robinson, really glad he didn't turn the football over. I, that was what I was impressed about, you know, in, in terms of how is he going to progress from year one to year two, in addition to kind of just some of his offseason turmoil. Uh, the fact that, you know, he held on to it, 22 or 34 for 178, one touchdown, not going to complain there. Uh, the big loss, B.J. Emmons, one carry, one yard, broken ankle. Uh, his season appears to be done. So that is uh, kind of heartbreaking for a guy who, you know, really is, is getting back into football and really to rekindle his uh, his football career with his former offensive coordinator and Elaine Kiffin. Harrison Bryant is a nice ball game. You know, Rashad Smith, those guys play well, but you know, all in all, outmatched by Ohio State. Yeah, and uh, on the Emmons injury, obviously not what you want if you're a program that's uh, looking to contend and get back to where you were a couple years ago quickly. Um, Another Conference USA versus Big Ten matchup. Uh, Michigan running away with it against Middle Tennessee, 40-21. to 21. However, really not a bad day from Asher O'Hara besides that one interception. He also went 22 of 32 on the day for 217 yards with two touchdowns. So I think that's the big positive for Middle Tennessee to come off of here. Michigan, obviously, very good team, very similar to Ohio State. Um, but the fact that, you know, this guy who they're – looks like they're riding with um, as uh, Brent Stockstill's successor, looks like, uh, you know, got plenty to build with there and uh, reason to be optimistic. Yeah, yeah. I, I, one of the things I tweeted out was that I was really impressed uh, the way that Asher O'Hara improved as a passer because when I saw him, when he took over for Brent Stockstill in the injury, uh, Asher O'Hara's only appearance of the season last year at FIU, you could tell he was really deferring to his legs. And, of course, you know, when you're coming off the bench cold, you're going to stick with, you know, what your bread and butter is. But just didn't look really confident as a passer. I remember his stat line, you know, off the top of my head, he went 9 of 20 for 80-something yards and one interception in that ball game. So to see him come back, you know, against a Michigan ball club, 22 of 32 for, for 217 and two touchdowns, very impressive, as well as using his legs. Uh, I thought middle held tight 
early on, I caught bits and pieces of this game. Where the game really kind of got away from them was like in the second quarter where Michigan kind of put back-to-back scores together. I believe one of those was off of a turnover. Uh, DQ Thomas had a nice ball game, 10 tackles. Um, but, yeah, all in all, um, I, I'm actually really optimistic about what I saw uh, from middle just because we know we've talked about how tough their opening first four or five ball games are. But if Asher O'Hara can develop, you know, the Conference USA slate shouldn't be um, too tough for him if he can kind of hold his own in these first four or five ball games. Absolutely. Uh, reason to be happy with where the Raiders are, at least for the time being, and uh, hopefully that translates well against some lesser competition in the coming weeks. Um, Louisiana Tech did not get the uh, blessing, I guess, of playing a tune-up game here either with uh, the trip to Austin to face the Longhorns. Texas winning that one 45-14. to Don't have too much to say about this one either, just that Tech, you know, just got blown out of the water, but that's really not indicative of how their season is going to go. I think Jamar Smith had uh, has some, had some good things to show. So really, the whole offense did, and uh, it's it's hard to gauge a defensive performance against a team that's of such higher quality than really of pretty much all the teams that they're going to face this season. Um, so I think that's kind of the takeaway there. You know, you, you ride with the the good things that you saw to Smith, and just try to uh, you know pick up some other little small things here and there but you know like i said not indicative of what they're going to do the rest of the year i think won't spend too much time on this ball game i'm a little more pessimistic or i'm pessimistic a little more down on what i saw mainly because we both believe that tech is a good is a good ball club so the fact that they went down 38 to 0 uh heading to the fourth quarter that kind of bothered me a little bit but outside of that like you said you know texas it isn't indicative of what they're going to see in the CUSA slate. Um, so, yeah, the only thing I would have liked to have seen from Tech was maybe a little more, you know, I don't want to say a little more fight, but maybe put up three, you know, uh, at least get a field goal here or there uh, in the early stages of that ball game. Sure, sure. Um, staying in the state of Texas, then we'll talk about UTSA and Incarnate Word. Uh, Roadrunners get the 35-7 to victory. Much needed great start for that team, like we talked about last week. Stellar day for UTSA QB Frank Harris with 206 yards through the air with three TDs and 123 yards on the ground. Um, you know, can't get too big ahead because it's incarnate word and um, any success they have, they have had in the last few years has been surprising. But, um, you know, we talked about how Frank Wilson really can't afford too many bad losses this year if he wants to stay out of the hot seat. So, he avoided one of those today. My major takeaway was Frank Harris. I believe, and you touched on Frank Wilson, cannot afford bad losses or even losses at all. Maybe not saying they need to go undefeated, but you know he needs to put as many in the win column as possible to kind of stay out of the hot seat. My major takeaway is I think Frank Harris and Frank Wilson are going to be tied to each other. It's kind of clear that Frank Harris was Wilson's guy last year, and the injury kept him up for the entire season led to the you know quarterback carousel, the revolving door they had last year between Cordell Grundy, B.J. Gillins, D.J. Gillins, excuse me, uh, and Bryce Rivers. So the fact that Frank Harris, 28-36, uh, three touchdowns, 206 through the air, another 123 on the ground, that was really impressive. 
granted it's against Incarnate Word, but hey, I think those guys are really going to be tied to each other. And the fact that they can get off to a good start, specifically Harris, uh, as a really young, inexperienced quarterback is a good thing. Since they're McCormick, the local guy from San Antonio, uh, 12 cars, 74 yards, that's just a good thing. I think overall for this UTSA program, and I, I wrote it in my three things, I think this might have been the best that that offense has looked since the 2017 season. So, you know, once again, it's all about building positives. Uh, really impressed there. Defensively, you know, they'll have to replace Josiah Toafa. So we'll see how that happens. Uh, Cassius Grady and Lorenzo Dantzler had nice ball games. That'll be uh, a huge part of it. Uh, young freshman Rashad Wisdom gets in as well. But, yeah, major takeaway, it's going to be the Franks. It's going to be their show. And we'll, they, where UTSA goes this year and maybe for the foreseeable future is really going to depend on the Franks and Wilson and Harris. All very true points. I'll agree that uh, this game was probably the best they've looked since 2017, and uh, hopefully they can build off of it. Um, Marshall, not too much to really uh, build off of for them in this game against a, a VMI team that, as we've talked about, um, hasn't had too much in the way of uh, bragging rights the last few seasons. Uh, the Thundering Herd get the victory there, 56-17. to 17. Four touchdowns for Isaiah Green will do that. Um, my biggest note from this is just, uh, you know, I think a lot of the guys, well, just that offensive backfield in general have really high expectations for them this year. And, you know, while this was against a pretty not impressive opponent, um, it's good that they started out this way. I think that's the level of confidence that they need to live up to the very high expectations that are on their shoulders right now. Couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we talked about Isaiah Green ad nauseum last year, coming into his second year as a starter, you know, first year where he's really the guy, not competing with anyone else. That backfield is going to be huge for him to lean on. I'm just really glad to see Tyler King healthy because he's one of my favorite players in Conference USA. He gets 10 carries for 75 yards. Brendan Knox, that's going to be a great one-two punch. Might be the best one-two bunch in Conference USA. In the backfield, he scores twice. And, yeah, I mean, just, you know, love Isaiah Green. Once again, getting off to a great start of the year. That's always going to be a positive. And that offensive line, um, Levi Brown, can he keep uh, Mr. Green upright? That's going to be huge. But, you know, all in all, it, it's VMI. And we all know uh, they've had their struggles over the past few years, to put that lightly. So good win for the herd. Certainly. Um, so another program that uh... – really needed a win frankly was a uh, old dominion and they got one against norfolk state 24 to 21 odu went ahead late on a la la davis rushing touchdown and then held that lead with an interception by lance boykin um so kind of similar thoughts that i had to the uab game uh good response to being under pressure and good way to uh you know dial in and get a win when everything was on the line but again you know if you're an fbs program you really shouldn't be in these kind of situations against fcs teams uh however that obviously the expectations are different for uab the defending conference champs and and this old dominion program who uh really you know are just trying to find an identity right now i guess trying not to pile on odu here but you know opening a new stadium New year, they needed in the worst way to get that win, first off. So kudos, they got it. But, okay, a quick question, Joe. Do we really think, like, is ODU in – am I just being, you know, um, dismissive 
because ODU is an FBS team that I assume that they should win this game by 40 points? Or is that, you know, what's your opinion of this ODU program? Like, is this, is this what we should expect? I mean, if, if I didn't see what they did last year with the level of talent that I believe was on that roster, then I would be more surprised. But, you know, I don't know what it is. They, they've recruited plenty of fantastic athletes to come play for that program, and they just haven't been able to really, um, you know, live up to the fullest of expectations that they've had on them for the past couple of years. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know. I guess, sure, I would have liked to see them perform a little bit better. But also, you know, I recognize that this is is uh, this is a team that's in rebuilding mode right now, whether they want to be or not. So um, I, I, I get how this result came to be, I guess. OK, you know, one of the things I try to do when looking at ball games is I try to take, you know, the jerseys and the logos off for a second and just look at it, you know, it, try just look at it on, on its surface. Right. And when you look at it on its surface, I guess I, I shouldn't be as hard as, as I am or wanting to be on ODU. So we'll stick with the positives. Glad they won. Uh, Stone Smart was the starter. So he clearly kind of emerged as the uh, one of that quarterback competition. Stephen Williams did attempt to pass. He was intercepted. But he looks to be a full-time receiver as he had three receptions. Uh, yeah. It just, hey, get wins the way you can get them. Um, Still trying to figure out where this ODU program is, but uh, a win is a win. So we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, and uh, I'm still trying to figure out where Southern Miss is as a program, to be honest with you. But uh, they get the win against Alcorn State over the weekend, 38-10. to uh, You know, to me, it looked like Southern Miss had no problem here. But uh, what did you think of that game, Eric? Yeah, uh, once again, kind of hard to evaluate them because Mr. Quez Watkins is not there. And anyone who's listened to this podcast or has read anything that I've written in regards to the Golden Eagles knows that I think Quez Watkins is a guy who can really make this team. I don't, I don't think they're a one-man show, but he gives them one of the most dynamic playmakers, not just in Conference USA, but in Division One football. So it's kind of hard to evaluate them there. Jack Abraham, nice ball game. He looks to, you know, really be the guy there, despite, you know, what they said about maybe a quarterback competition. Jalen Adams. Uh, he really impressed me because if Quez Watkins is going to be, you know, his status with the team is going to be an issue uh, going forward, at least they have a dynamic playmaker in him, a punt return and a kick return. He took the opening kick of the season back for a touchdown. So that's great. And the offensive line seems to have held up a little bit. And that's going to be, you know, a, uh, not necessarily a question mark, but something to keep an eye on. A guy like Arvin Fletcher, who's there spurting between tackle and guard to see what he may or may not do. Uh, the positive that they do have, you know, you know for a fact that they've got that defense. So you, you just, my my biggest thing is we need to see how much that defense will need to, um, once again, not carry the team, but if Quez Watkins isn't going to be there, uh, you want all the other surrounding pieces to be at their best. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. Certainly. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what uh, what those pieces do when, uh, when this team is at full strength. Um, and uh, we kind of saw what a full-strength North Texas team did as well against Abilene Christian. Uh, mean Green win that one fifty-one to 31 About what we expected from this game, really. Uh, no issues on offense with Mason Fine throwing for 383 yards. You know, I think the defense took their foot off the gas a little bit in the second half. I think they just kind of looked more into it in the first half. And as a result, I think that's kind of why the, the points came when they did. But, um, you know, overall, I don't think there's too much to worry about for uh, 
of the preseason conference USA favorites here, at least according to us. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, the stuff we expected them to do really well, they're doing really well. And the stuff that traditionally they've had, you know, a little more trouble with, I think that's, that's pretty much the team that we saw, uh, in this game, they're picking up where they left off from last year, more or less. Yeah, I will say nothing to be concerned about because they did give up 31 points to a, a team that I, I don't think they should have given up 31 to. Um, granted, you know, North Texas did jump out to a 17 nothing lead, and a lot of those points, all 31, came in the last three quarters. But still, uh, it's not that North Texas doesn't have a good defense. They have guys like Gary Muhammad. So I would have liked to have seen that number be a little bit lower. But, you know, when you have Mason Fine at the helm, you're going to be all right as a ball club. So all things considered, you know, Rico Bussey looks good. Jason Pirtle, three touchdowns. So nice to have, you know, another receiving threat step up. And once again, a win is better than a loss. So not too much more than that game uh, for me. A program who knows that win is better than a loss feeling all too well. UTEP who get the victory 36 to 34 over Houston Baptist. Uh, Obviously extremely close game, very exciting game. Miners desperately needed that win and a 35 year old, uh, 35 year old field goal, a 35 yard field goal from Gavin Beckel helped push them over the edge in that game. So, um, you know, obviously we expected this team to kind of come out and uh, struggle offensively, but, you know, granted it wasn't against a, a, top of the line opponent but um some good things from that offense at utep and um you know you know we can debate whether or not they're going to see this result again at some point in the year but um this was obviously their best chance to get a win and they got it done for me the biggest takeaway was who was going to step up in the absence of quadris wadley and trevon hughes a guy who's been with the program for a couple years himself he steps up you know 23 tires for buck 44 and two scores. I watched pretty much most of the second half and a little bit of the second quarter, and you're right. It was an exciting game. Uh, late turnover really cost Houston Baptist. Uh, I, you know, you're not supposed to have a rooting interest, but I, I was rooting for UTEP because I just didn't want, you know, l- like you said, uh, this might be their best chance to get a win this year, and I, I didn't want to see that kind of go, you know, by the wayside. Uh, give credit to Houston Baptist. Uh, Bailey Zappi. 27-37 for 30 yards on the dot, two touchdowns. You know, kind of felt bad for those kids because, you know, they're sitting there trying to think, to think that they have a chance to get the upset and they played their hearts out. But UTEP got the win. That's all that matters. It's just baby steps. It's all, all is a matter for a Dana Demos club. So they'll take it. Right. And I think at this point people have kind of throwing the whole expect them to not have a rooting interest aside with us at this point. And I'm perfectly okay with it, to be honest with you. Um but that's going to wrap up our uh, our little chat about week one of Conference USA football. And uh, now we move on to week two. Uh, let's pick some winners and uh, look at some time slots. Eric, what do we got for next week? Yeah, a little bit of a departure here for those of you who are veteran listeners to this podcast. This is normally where you hear Joe's voice, but I will go ahead and take the lead here. We have Wake Forest and Rice, time 8 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Big thing for me. Wake is actually a really good ball club. Uh, they're I'm not going to say they're going to compete for an ACC title, but they're better than expected. I just want to see how that Rice defense can perform against a completely different offensive look because we know with Army they weren't going to throw the ball, and with Wake they will throw the football around. So I think that is going to be interesting to see. You know, did 
I don't want to call Army's offense vanilla, but it, it's not the modern offense by stretch of imagination. So uh, did that maybe aid their their ability to kind of um, have some success? Looking forward to seeing that. But all in all, I expect a Wake Forest victory, just looking to see how Rice can fare. Yeah, no, I definitely foresee the Wake Forest victory as well. Um, yeah, that Wake program is just consistently one of those teams where they always seem to be, you know, in a much better position at the end of the year than a lot of people expected them to be at the beginning of the year, if that makes sense. And, um, yeah, I'll completely agree with you. It'll be interesting to see how this Rice defense reacts to a team that actually throws the ball. So I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be an interesting matchup. But, you know, like I said, Wake Forest definitely walking away with the win, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. The next game on our slate is an hour later kickoff, 9 p.m. Eastern. Once again, these are our Friday matchups. Marshall at Boise State on ESPN2, which might be the best Conference USA or even the best G5 matchup of the of the uh, weekend slate here. For me, I, I, initially, I, I was looking just to see Marshall compete, but after coming off of the weekend in which I saw Marshall look really good in Boise, uh, for any of you who saw that Boise-Florida State game, Florida State played not to win in the second half or not to lose as opposed to winning, and that really cost them. And give all the credit to Boise State's true freshman quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer. You know, he played, his, uh, he played his butt off. But Boise didn't look good for two and a half quarters. And, you know, uh, granted, some of that may have been to the fact that that game was moved at the last minute due to the hurricane and being in over 110-degree temperatures down there up there in Tallahassee. But – uh, all in all, now from what I saw from Boise, I'm really looking forward to maybe a Marshall upset here. Uh, Boise comes in. They're now ranked number 24th in the nation. Uh, how do you feel, Joe? I, I agree that I think this is going to be one of the more entertaining uh, interconference games on Conference USA slate this year. Um, I, I'm going to pick Boise State and just kind of go with my gut. Not that I don't think Marshall has an extremely talented team. I think both of these, uh, both these programs do right now. Um, I think Marshall's – or not Marshall. I think Boise State has had just a little more practice in these big moments the last couple of years, and I think that experience is kind of what's going to push them over the edge in this one. But, you know, wouldn't be the first time uh, Marshall's proven me wrong. <laughs> nice. As we move to the Saturday slate, we've got a noon kick, UAB at Akron on CBS Sports Network. The spread on that one is UAB nine and a half. Just really looking forward to this game because I want to see how UAB can rebound. Uh, This is another game that, you know, Akron still kind of building their their program. You know, they had some some positive things during the Terry Bowden years, but that kind of has taken a dive in the recent future for UAB, just simple establish Spencer Brown on the ground. Definitely want to see how the defense responds. Guys like Garrett Moreno and uh, the offense, Tyler Johnson is a guy who got a lot of hype coming into this season. Want to see what they're able to do. And the receivers, guys like Kendall Parham, just can they put together a consistent ball game? Not expecting UAB to be a team that throws for 300 yards. Anyone who watched the Blazers over the past two years knows that that's not necessarily their game. Just want to see a little bit more consistency out of the passing game. And uh, I believe I, I erred on that line. It's UAB minus nine and a half uh, is what they have. But, yeah, well, that's what I have. What do you have, Joe? I'm taking UAB as well. I think Bill Clark, uh, Bill Clark's been doing this long enough that he knows how to get a team uh, in gear after the kind of performance they had against Alabama State. Um, and you know, no dis- no disrespect to uh, Akron's program, but I think in theory, um, when that 
UAB offense plays the way that, you know, guys like us know they can, um, they should be too much for Akron's defense. So picking the Blazers. Next one here, I'm sure we won't spend too much time on. That's another noon kickoff, Eastern. ODU makes the return trip to Virginia Tech to the site of where they got, I believe, my memory serves me correct, the biggest upset in the history of college football, according to the uh, the uh, Vegas betting line last year. But I don't think any of us are predicting that they'll get that this year. They enter in at uh, Virginia Tech. Uh, the line is Virginia Tech minus 28 and a half as that game is on ESPNU. Just looking to see baby steps, you know, don't get beat too bad. Uh, this isn't like the world beater Virginia Tech team that we might have expected from the Michael Vick era or anything like that, but no one's expecting them to lose to an OG team that clearly is still trying to figure out just what they are as a program with their quarterback situation and all those things straightened out. So uh, got uh, ODU not covering uh, Virginia Tech to win this one easily. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, completely agree. I think Virginia Tech's going to take this one this isn't the team that's going to make history repeat itself on the old dominion side, unfortunately for them. Um, and yeah, you're right. I believe mathematically it was the biggest upset in the history of, uh, in the history of college football at the time. Um, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen again here. Once again, I think we're in agreement there as we move on to the next game on the slate, three thirty Eastern kickoff Southern miss makes the trip up to Starkville to take on Mississippi State and the Bulldogs. That game will be on ESPNU. Very intrigued to see how this one may play out because I don't think that Mississippi State is in tow for a great year. I think they'll be a solid SEC team. But I do think if all things break right for Southern Miss, Jack Abraham, if he can get established, we know I've already said that Quez Watkins isn't there, but they can get play from guys like Jalen Adams and others. Uh, Southern Miss has a defense that will travel well. They will play well. Can they hang tight? Yes. Do they get the victory? I'm not 100% sure. My gut tells me to take Mississippi State, but I would not be shocked if Southern Miss is able to go into Starkville and pull up the upset. What do you think, John? I have very similar thoughts. I think Mississippi State's probably going to pull this one out. However, I think Southern Miss is definitely going to put up more of a fight than people think uh, with this game. Um so I think based on I, I watched a little bit of Mississippi State or yeah, I watched a little bit of Mississippi State against uh Raging Cajuns last week. And um yeah, I thought they looked fine. So I think Southern Miss is gonna give them a pretty decent fight, but um I'm I'm not too much of a believer just yet to say they'll pull off the upset. Let's move on to the next game on the slate. It's another three thirty Eastern kickoff grambling. Heads to Louisiana Tech. That game will be the first one for Conference USA on the NFL Network slate. Uh, you know, I don't think we're expecting too much. Uh, I think from Tech, in terms of my POV, just want to see them look consistent. You know, they should blow out Grambling, should not be much of an issue. Uh, want to see guys like Jaquist Nancy, Adrian Hardy, Jamar Smith just get in, in rhythm and play the type of ball game that we know they can play. And I've got Tech. How about you, Joe? I have Tech as well. Um, I think you know, based on the amount of talent that's on that team, they should not have any trouble with this grambling team. I think Jamar Smith's going to have another really solid game and, uh, you know, get, uh, get the Bulldogs first one of the year. One that I definitely would keep in my eye on is another three thirty kickoff on ESPN plus Charlotte heads to Boone, North Carolina and Appalachian state. Will Healy said, as I said on this podcast, that this is going to be the test for his program to see how far they've come and how far they have to go. I'm not predicting that Charlotte will get the victory, but anyone who's listened to this podcast knows how I feel about the 49ers. 
I think they have two things that go, that work in their favor. One is running back Benny LeMay. The other is Alex Highsmith and the 49er defense. Just want to see how they can play against the Sun Belt, not arguably, against the Sun Belt's best team. Uh, if they can keep this one within two scores, you know, maybe a, even a 10-point game, I think that's a win for Will Healy's club. But all in all, I do think Appalachian State wins this one. Just want to see how Charlotte can perform. Toss off to you, Joe. What do you think? Yeah, I'm in. I'm in pretty close agreement here. I think App State's going to pull it off, um, but you know the Charlotte team's getting better and better. I just think App State's had more time to uh, you know develop into co- into a uh, cohesive team, like we saw when uh, you know in Scott Satterfield's last year at the helm of that program. So um, you know, again, it all just comes down to experience, and I think App State just has a little bit more of that right now. Move on to the next game on the slate. It'll be UTSA taking on an in-state team in Baylor. That one's a 4 o'clock kickoff, Eastern, 3 o'clock Central. Do not see TV listed for that game. Uh, for UTSA, it's just a piggyback off of the things I said earlier in the podcast. Uh, once again, not expecting them to go in there and win. That would be a tough environment down there uh, at Baylor. But it's going to be about the Franks. Uh, you know, it's going to be their show. I want to see how Frank Harris can do against, you know, obviously a step up in competition. Guys like uh, Sincere McCormick, you know, how can they play? Young guys who are really going to be the future. Brendan Brady, another guy running back, going to be the future of this Roadrunner program. How do they fare? Uh, Joe, you talked about it earlier as far as Frank Wilson's status. I think the major deciding factor, especially with a new AD and Lisa Campos, who did not bring him in, is going to be these games do not get blown out. At least look semi-competitive. See how they look. Uh, that's what I'll be looking forward to, but I think Baylor will get the victory. How about you, Joe? Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was UTSA's first win against a G5 team, right? A couple of years ago against Baylor. I believe so. Yeah, I'm yeah. correct. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen again. But I was just making sure my memory was correct. Um, yeah, I don't think UTSA's right. You know where they need to be in order to pull off that kind of win. But like you mentioned, as long as they're competitive, I think that's going to be, uh, you know. Another notch in the wind column for Frank Wilson as far as, uh, you know, as far as the fans and as far as, um, you know, his superiors are concerned. So that's that'd be a good step for them. As we move on to the evening slate of games, first one on the, on the docket is 7 p.m. Western Kentucky, the tops. Head to Miami, the ball game that I will be at. They will play at FIU. That game will be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, Joe and I will preview it, but we'll give you our own little preview here. Uh, I, I'm not even sure what to expect from both of these ball clubs because Western, it's almost weird to say in week two it's a must win. I think it's very much more of a must win for FIU than is Western Kentucky because we kind of knew what they were rebuilding. But the fact that Western didn't get that win last week against Central Arkansas is almost like, all right, it's a must win for them as well in terms of the morale and the psyche of that football team and their fans. I think FIU has more to lose here given the expectations that they came to this season with. James Morgan, he's a guy who will rebound, had arguably one of his best ball games of the year against Western Kentucky. Stanley Thomas Oliver had the best game of his career, pulling back for FIU against Western. The key matchup for me is going to be uh, that Western Kentucky defensive line. Jawan Jones and D'Angelo Malone, how will they be able to perform against the FIU offensive line? And then can Western run the ball? If they can run the ball against FIU, teams will have success. All things considered, I think FIU, you know, this is, is win or else their season could go in the wrong direction. So I think they win by two scores. How about you? Yeah, I think FIU can pull this out. Um, 
I think Butch Davis just has a, a better track record when it comes to responding to these kinds of situations. Um, and, you know, that's a solid point about FIU having more to lose. However, I just the, – the mood is uh, remarkably more somber, I guess, uh, given what happened against Central Arkansas in, uh, in Topperland. So if this ends up a win for Western Kentucky, that would be a huge ego boost to everybody involved in that program. Um, and would be, you know, really, I think, really frustrating given the amount of hype that's been surrounding this FIU program for the last year or so. Um, but I, I think they'll be able to step up to the plate and, uh, you know, beat a Western Kentucky team, uh, regardless of, uh, you know, if they, they figure out what happened in that loss or not. We'll move on to our next 7 o'clock kickoff Eastern. Tennessee State heads to Murfreesboro and plays Middle Tennessee State. That one will be on ESPN3. Shouldn't be much of a contest here. Major thing I'm looking for is just Astro Harris' development as a passer who can step up in the run game and just looking to see Middle Tennessee. This is going to be kind of their break in their, in their you know, early season gauntlet because they play a ton of Power 5 teams. This is going to be the one where they just should get an easy win and you know, have a, a smooth evening for Rick Stocksville's ball club. So I've got Middle Tennessee easy. How about you? Yeah, Middle Tennessee really shouldn't have any problems with, uh, with this team. Um, I'm really liking what I've seen out of Asher O'Hara so far. I think that defense, uh, you know, they've had more than enough time to kind of become the, become a cohesive unit over the last couple of years. Should be, uh, should be a nice way to, you know, get in the win column for, for Middle Tennessee here. Let's move on to the next game on the docket, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 p.m. Central. North Texas heads to Southern Methodist. Kind of a battle of that, you know, uh, DFW Metro, uh, the Metroplex area teams. That will be on ESPN3. Major thing I'm looking for is a battle between Mason Fine and Shane Bouchel, two very highly regarded G5 quarterbacks. I think we will see a lot of points. We'll see the ball in the air. Can that North Texas defense, one who didn't perform against, you know, Abilene Christian as far as the passing attack, see how they can play? I, this one, I don't think that SMU wins by a stretch of the imagination, but, you know, if, if they're going to let SMU throw the football around and they don't perform better than they did last week, you might have a bit of a tight ball game. All things considered, I think Mason Fine is just a better quarterback. Uh, he's the best player out there on the field, and I think he'll lead the mean green to victory. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I, I believe I uh, I picked North Texas to win uh, when we did our season preview a couple weeks ago, and uh I'm going to stand by it. You know, I really, I really have high expectations for this uh, North Texas offense. But like you mentioned, Shane Buchel is a great quarterback. SMU has been a really good offensive team the last couple of years. It's going to be super entertaining. Going to go a little bit out of order here because I want to save the last one, which might be a pretty intriguing G5 matchup here. So we're going to go to 8 o'clock kickoff Eastern, 7 p.m. Central. Uh, UTEP heads to Lubbock and plays Texas Tech. Do not see any TV for that one, but I would be surprised if that one isn't televised somewhere. Uh, UTEP, you know, we've labored the state of their program and talked about where they're at. It's just about small positives, you know. I, I don't expect them to go in there and win. Don't expect them to really be too competitive, despite the fact that Texas Tech is kind of rebuilding themselves. Just don't want to see them get embarrassed. I think that's the major thing. You want to see how guys like Brandon Jones can respond. Uh, Trevon Hughes, can he put together the ball game on the ground? And just find their identity. I think that's the major thing is that we don't really know much about this UTEP team because, you know, they put all their stock in a guy like Kyle Oxley and he had his offseason struggles and we don't necessarily know what his status is going to be for this week as well. So they just have to find an identity as a program, you know, baby steps, see what they can do. But I expect Tech to get the victory. Yeah, 
Um, if you're a UTEP fan, you might not be too mad about this not being on TV because I think Texas Tech is just going to run away with this one. Um, just two completely different programs. Um, Texas Tech runs the offense really well. Uh, they run it really quickly, and I don't think UTEP's going to keep up. And the reason I went out of order is going to save this one for last. It's a 7 p.m. kickoff Eastern. Number 18, UCF, makes the trip to Boca Raton. Take on Lane Train and the FAU Owls. That one will be on CBS Sports Network. I'm not 100% sure how I feel about this one just because the line has moved so much. And initially, <laughs> the line was actually a lot closer, believe it or not. It, it was FAU minus 7 at one point. Now it is, uh, I believe it's 10 uh, is where it's at now. Just on the field, I don't think that FAU has enough talent defensively to keep up with the bevy of UCF's running backs, guys like Greg McRae, the speed of Otis Anderson, the speed of Adrian Killings, guys on the outside, Gabriel Davis and Trey Nixon. The one thing that I think will be the saving grace that if FAU is going to win this ballgame from the CUSA perspective, it's going to depend on if they can force turnovers and inconsistency from the Notre Dame transfer and quarterback Brandon Wimbush. The one thing that will slow down the UC fast offense is if the ball hits the ground. You cannot go no huddle if the clock is stopped and you're having to reset the ball. So, uh, and he actually missed a couple of easy completions last season against FAMU that I saw from my eyes. All things considered, I think UCF wins by two scores just because I don't think offensively, especially when you factor in the loss of B.J. Emmons, I don't think that FAU has enough, although Chris Robinson did have a promising game last week. Uh, the freshman Larry McCammon, that's going to be a huge stage, for, huge stage excuse me, for him to make his first start at running back. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think UCF wins by two scores, but it, it really depends on how they'll be able to force Brandon Wimbush into maybe some mistakes or inconsistency. And the young freshman quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, for UCF as well, uh, he might see some time. But Joe, what says you, buddy? Uh, I say UCF as well. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored in this game, which is a really fun brand of football to watch, obviously. Um, I think, you know, based on what I've seen out of FAU's defense the last couple of years, I think, um, you know, if they can find some way to stop Winbush, like you mentioned, that's going to be uh, a big point in their favor. However, I think UCF's just a little bit more of a complete team and that's, what's going to push them, uh, push them into the win column here. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, it's not that FAU shouldn't be able to compete, but UCF, you know, they really have been the gold standard as far as G5s goes, and, and they're just a really good program overall. As I pass it back to Joe, go ahead and close this one up. Yeah, yeah. They've uh, they've been something remarkable to watch over the last couple of years, just uh, as far as the entirety of G5 goes. Um, so that wraps up the uh, week two picks, right, Eric? Yes, it does, sir. All right. In that case, we'll say uh, thanks to everybody who's uh, listened to the show and been listening for some time. Obviously, really appreciate it. Um, one other thing that we'd appreciate, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us grow. And then subscribe on that platform and on uh, Google Play. Check us out on Spotify, um, where you are on most major podcast platforms. So just search Underdog Podcast. You'll probably find us. Um, and uh, follow at Underdog Dynasty on Twitter. Like them on Facebook. Check out UnderdogDynasty.com every single day throughout the season for more G5 football uh, stuffs. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Eric is at Eric C. Henry underscore. And we will be back next week to talk about uh, the previous weekend's action and uh, talk about the next weekend's action. Happy football watching, everybody. <laughs>